spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today's kind of a cloudy, mysterious, mind-bending sort of a day. It's one of those days when everything goes according to plan, even though it looks like it's a big mess and chaos. So (laughs) what I mean by that is very often when you're in the mess of life or when you're working or helping your autistic child, it can feel like it's all falling apart. But if you look for the patterns inside the chaos, you'll discover that, in fact, it's unfolding just as it should to take you where you need to be. And that's the way today has been. So it started with me thinking I was going to sleep in and have a sort of cozy, languid, awesome, yummy morning. And the phone started ringing. I had problems to solve and people to talk to. And then I had to make some connections so that people could get work overseas and and get help overseas. And it was just like a crazy crazy, crazy day. And as a result, we have a wonderful guest. So how exciting is that? I want Before I get into my guest, so I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show where we'll have stories from the road. And of course, the okay, okay, great guest giveaway. And today that might be me, that might be our guest. We'll see. It's a really thrown together show. So the Today's guest has been on the show before. Her name is Julie Sando. She's a marvelous friend from many years back, so we're going to have a really good time. Let's begin by just saying hello to Julie. Hi, Julie, and thanks for being on the show. Hi, Linda and everybody. This is so exciting. Thanks for I, having me. I just love it when stuff just happens. One domino falls into the next domino, and it all just unfolds as it should. Oh, my goodness, yes, and you just completely described my day as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's start with, so that they understand who you are and what you do, in case they haven't heard your other show, let's just start with that, because I have two things I want to talk about, and since we're friends, we're going to really dig in and chat about them. So let's just get them a sense of you and your business and what you have to offer for people with autism. Great, okay, so... I've done so much training, so many different programs that I've become certified in through the years, about 18, 19 years so far in the field of autism. And one of the biggest learnings I think I made is was about halfway through that journey of realizing it is not about the program. I think we can get so wrapped up in the, the process that we forget to really look at the child and the family and the individuality. And so um, I've created a program called Natural Play Therapy that helps us bring natural back to therapy through play. Um, So that's the basic gist of it. I can go into so much more detail, but we'll Well, well, let's get into a little detail. So what differs your program from someone else's? Sure. Um, So a lot of what we do is we help 
parents and professionals remember how to play and remember or just recognize how we relate to other, our own peers, right? Other human beings. And so, um, and then we help them apply that to when they're with their child who has special needs, because I think a lot of times we get so far from that when we're studying all these different approaches and techniques and ways of being. And so, um, I think the biggest thing that would make us differ is really look how we look at those developmental stages of play and um and those stages of play stay with us throughout our lives. We still we all do solitary play, we all do spectator play and parallel and associative and cooperative, right? But sometimes we forget to to bring that aspect into it when we're with our kids. So it's really like looking for natural learning opportunities and um, and bringing a, a more playful spirit to the interaction. Okay, and we're going to get in and talk about um, how people devalue the, the value of play. But before we do that, tell them how they find you and where they could look up more information. Awesome. So our website is autisticallyinclined.com. So it's autistic with an A-L-L-Y, autisticallyinclined.com. And I would recommend going to our services page because we have so many cool things, free stuff and um, all sorts of stuff that we offer. We have play mail, we have happy hour, we have, which is all online video conference stuff. Um, so you can be anywhere in the world and, and get support um, and check out our natural play therapy connection course. It's pretty darn cool. Yeah, and Julie's always been way more organized than me, so trust me, her website's going to have all kinds of cool stuff. All right, so, (laughs) Julie, let's start with the whole thing of play. So I always find this so amazing. So there's been all kinds of studies done. We've known forever that children learn at the fastest rate for your life. Your fastest rate of learning happens while all those neurons are growing and everything's happening, and all you're doing is playing. So we've always known that, and still, as a society, we warehouse kids and we stop play, and so by the time they're adults, they think that the majority of the learning that they did came from all of that sitting at a desk and all of that academic stuff that was, was practiced and practiced and practiced. And by the time I'm teaching an adult how to play or I'm modeling it or we're talking about it, there's been a sort of devaluing of the degree of learning that happens via play. So let's talk about that a little bit. First, the struggle of getting other adults to value it in the first place as the mode of learning. Um, and then, um, then we'll get into some of the details. So let's start with that. What do you, yeah. How have you experienced that? I think that a lot of that challenge and disconnect comes from how we're living our lives, right? We've become a culture of instant gratification and we're connected to people in so many ways through email, text, phone, whatever it is, right? That like we have this expectation to get more done and be more productive because we have faster mode of communication. Um, And so I think we get so busy in our lives personally and we don't take time to relax, to, um, to, to really play in whatever that may look like for an adult, right? We don't really take that time to do that. So we're removed from it 
within ourselves. So how can we even see that for our kids? It's this society of go, go, go. And I'm guilty of it too. Well, <laughs> you know? but, but maybe we should just change our, our verbiage. Like, for example, um, I can say, I'm working here. Don't bother me, right? But the truth is I'm playing in the adult fashion of play, which is work. Uh, if I'm sitting writing a book, it's because I chose to sit and write a book. When I was a kid, I did the exact same thing. I sat and wrote poems, and I wrote books, and back then I was playing, and now I'm working. The only difference is that I can send it to a publisher and have it marketed. Right. Okay, so this is interesting. Does that, does, I can see how that applies to you and I, because we're both self-employed, right, and doing mm-hmm a job that does not feel like a job. We love what we do. We love our work and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? What about for all those people who are doing a job that they don't love? Well, I think, yes. So this is the question, right? So whether we were sold on the concept of school, being in a sort of sit at a desk and then go to an office, sit at a desk. And then, you know, if we were sold on all of that as defining that we're being successful and productive, then probably we will take that path. But regardless, we're choosing to like it or not like it, and we're choosing the job. It often feels like you're not, but you could choose a labor <laughs> job. versus a <laughs> right, right. It feels because you're you're desperate to get a job, and but I, I have special needs sons who ended up, you know, successful with work, and they choose the kind of work that they're comfortable with, and they totally turn their nose up at other kinds of jobs. Like I'd say to Cash, for example, you know, well, there's a availability at um, at a fast food restaurant. He like, please, I'm not working there. Like he, we do create the pathways by our choices for the jobs we end up in. So we might as well just decide to enjoy them. Right, right. <laughs> right. right, we're there for we're there for some reason. Something took us there, so why not make that part bigger, whatever drew us to it in the first place. Okay, so if you call that play, if you call yeah. your job play, you're now spending eight hours a day minimum playing, and... Okay. You're becoming successful at it, so then maybe we could change a little bit of how people feel about play being productive. And that's really what I want to kind of play with <laughs> here is, you know, let's, let's talk about how productive play is versus getting the child to sit and have their legs and hands quiet and perfect and their eye contact perfect. Um, what's the difference you see? In, in, in play between where the child, say it again, I need to process okay, so again. Okay, I'll, so I'll start and then, you, and then you just pick up. So the difference I see is if I'm playing with a child and they respond to me and they look in my eyes because they chose to because I was so fun and then they say their words to get me to do something because they love seeing me do it and the next thing you know they feel empowered by their language and their language automatically begins in a generalized state because it's happening in the natural world. Um, to me, play teaches faster and create yeah. a quicker connection. But what it teaches to me, and in my experience, is it teaches to the deficit. So in autism, the deficit is social, and it's friendship, and it's all of that, the connection and the communication. And to me, play teaches to that better 
although ABA or some of the more stringent school-styled academic teaching teaches to um, skill sets a little better sometimes. Yeah. Discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it it just reminds me of, you know, if somebody asks me to do something that's really challenging for me, I feel this sense of pressure. And a lot of times, sometimes pressure can be good, but for the most part, pressure doesn't feel good. It's not productive. It's not helping me integrate these skills in a really healthy way, right? It's just like, how can I hurry up and get this done and just like move past it? Um, So when you think of something like eye contact, right, it can be such a huge challenge for our kids. And I think a lot of the time they just experience the world differently from us. So they're probably looking at us without it even looking like they're looking at us, right? Right. So when we, or they're taking their eyes away so they could raise up the sensory input of the ears, right? Sure. Sometimes, right. Yeah, hey, in a romantic embrace, I close my eyes so that I can increase my sensory input. So this is a common thing in a human being is to t- turn down one to increase another. And if we force and prioritize eye contact over auditory reception, we're kind of impeding communication a little bit. Right, right. So well said. I think that it it actually shuts the process down. And kids be more self-conscious about it. You know, if it becomes a topic, now right. it's, you know, an even bigger deal and more pressure. And Versus what you're describing is if there's, you know, by taking the pressure and focus off of eye contact and just enjoying something with a child, there's so many more natural opportunities for the child to look because they want to and not because I'm asking them to. And to me, that's the most powerful way to learn. I agree. (laughs) So after, we're going to have a quick break soon, but there's a before and an after. So after the break, I want to talk a little bit about how great it is to be networked in the world and connected to each other and respect each other as colleagues. And part of the reason for that is political because the world's dividing right now and I don't like it. (laughs) But we might as well do our part. Um, The other other part is because I think it's really an important piece even in the mental health world, not just politically. So I think we'll talk about that after the break. Before, which is now, I would like you to talk a little bit about, you know, you were this morning we were chatting and you were talking about your different acronyms for the for what you do and I thought it sounded very interesting and I would love you to share a little bit more detail about that. Great. In your play therapy that you do. Excellent. All right. So um, I'll, I'll start with how it all started to evolve. I was certified in, a, in an approach, uh, you know, for many years and then when I realized it became more about the approach because they were not open to doing a different technique from a different program, even if it worked for a child, right? I decided to let go of that certification and just do what felt right. And so it was this like new sense of freedom, right? To be with the kids in this new way where I don't have to follow rules and techniques. I have this whole huge tool belt of techniques but I wasn't having to perform techniques. I was just being with the child. And that from that place of freedom, um, I started to see patterns. 
And I would have conversations with other people in the field and other parents and and we would talk about these patterns and they would recognize them as well. And so eventually um, uh, we created this acronym called Watch Birdie. And it's just an easy way to remember the the guidelines of natural play therapy. Um, and we call them guidelines rather than, te- than techniques because techniques feel like rules and guidelines feel like here's something you can try and make it your own <laughs> or not. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So, um, so we have our Watch Birdie acronym and we had that and, and then, you know, for maybe a good year, solid year and then. Wait, um, wait, wait. What's it stand for? Oh, Watch Birdie. Okay. So the watch process is one part of the acronym and that stands for the, the watch process is really describing spectator play, which is a developmental stage of play. So actually, maybe I should describe the next part and then come back and tell you what the, okay. what the acronym means. Because um, it, yeah. So I was with a family um, in New Jersey, and I was watching an awesome mama play with her little three-year-old son who had autism. And... I was sitting there thinking, what were those developmental stages of play that I learned about in my psychology class 20 years ago? Um, and I looked it up on my iPhone and saw those five developmental stages of play, which are solitary, spectator, parallel, associative, and cooperative play, and they match up exactly with Watch Birdie. Um, so... The watch part of that acronym is spectator play, where that's how people learn, right? They learn through observation first. When you have an infant and you have those colorful stacked rings, uh, the infant's going to chew on those rings. They're going to drop the rings, pick them up, throw them, bang them against their head accidentally, you know? (laughs) They're messy with them. But when I play with those rings, I'm going to stack them and then dump them and stack them and dump them, right? And I don't expect the child to do that right away. The child's going to watch me do it over and over, but the child's going to do it in their own way, in a solitary play sort of way. And then eventually after watching me, they're going to be more like a parallel play, right? They're going to be, they're going to start to try to stack it themselves. And then once they get it, then we can do it interactively, which is more associative and cooperative play. So in the watch process of natural play therapy, it's this guideline because it's so hard for people to remember to just stop and watch and learn from our kids and what they're showing us. So the first step is to wait. That's the W. And then the A is allow. Allow your child to just be themselves so that we can learn from who they really are, as long as they're safe, of course. And then the T in watch is theorize. So let's think about this. What do you think, why do you think they're doing what they're doing? And once you kind of start to put those pieces together, the next step of the process is C, which is celebrate. And it's not something that you have to do out loud, but I mean, you can, but it's really about celebrating your child for the resourceful ways that they get through the world. Once we've theorized, we can understand this better and start to appreciate it more. And we can really celebrate ourselves for taking the time to just watch our kids and learn from them. And then the H is habitude. So um, that's actually a real word. It's turning 
an attitude into a habit, so habitude. And so it's what do I learn from this, what did I learn from this process of watching that I can integrate into my everyday life and make it a habit. So that's the watch part. I love habitude. (laughs) It's so cool. Isn't that the best word ever? It's the best word ever. I love it so much. Okay, you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as The Brain Broad, and we are talking with Julie Sando, who is the creator of Autistically Inclined and a great friend that I've known for many years and a fantastic therapist. Um, Make sure that you stay to the very end of this show where we will have stories from the road and the okay, okay, great guest giveaway. I think I'll give something away today. All right, so we are, that that was so quick. That was the mid-show break. We're back. Um, Just one more time before I get into these two subjects that I want to talk about, Julie. Say your um, website for them. Autisticallyinclined.com. Very good. Very good. With A-L-L-Y. <laughs> perfect, perfect. All right, I have two thoughts, two things I want to hit on. I hate how short radio shows are wrong. We ha- so we have to hit these two ideas. One is just a whole... Today when, so here's what happened, people, um, I got a call from a mom and she needs some help and she said, do you know anyone in the States would be willing to do it and um, I'm not available and so I'm looking around and uh, right away comes to mind Julie so I immediately mention her and they'd already met and, and so it brought to mind for me the degree to which we're all connected when we manage to keep our connections alive. And Julie and I went and created our own things, and yet I can still call on her and say, hey, would you be interested? And they've already, whether this happens or not, what's alive for me right now is the degree to which mutual respect makes it possible for us to reach across and say, hey, you know, I can't carry this load. Can you try? So um, I love that, and I think that we want to talk a little bit about how we manage to do that in this world that's so loving division. And this is just us being friends and talking for a second, Julie. And then the second thing that I would really like to look at is how do we say we made a mistake and change our approach because that's very true to parents and it's very true to teachers. So those are the two Mm. things I want to hit on. Yeah. Let's leave that one for last, right? Okay. Um, okay. So first on the networking thing, when you first decided to create your own – your own therapeutic approach or to pull from all your tools and and build your own certification network. Did you have any challenges in that way, maintaining connections, or did other people have challenges with you? Um, And how did you overcome it if you did? Mm, (laughs) (laughs) Just tell what you want to. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely not, I'm actively not being recommended by the previous places I was certified in, right? Because I no right. longer fall into their category of what, what, you know, of doing their approach alone. So um, in a sense, I feel like I have been shunned a bit because it's been, I've heard families say that they've said, don't work with her, right? Because mm-hmm. she's not doing our program. Um but I think that that just kind of gives you this opportunity to to stand stronger in um and I think that the biggest thing for me that my whole foundation is I'm never done learning, never ever ever done learning um 
And it kind of brings me back to the phone call that we had this morning of how you called and said, you know, you, you've known this family and have, have been so connected with them for so many years. I met them many years ago. So, so much has changed. And what I'm most excited about as in this whole idea of networking is um, learning from you, right? Like, right. I, I am never done learning. I want to keep that up. And so I think that that helps us maintain that ability well, when we can view it as not as competition, but as well as like growth, growth opportunity. Mean, yeah. I mean, the truth is that everything I ever trained in as a parent is a part of what I reach in and pull out when I need it. And so it doesn't make sense to say that's no good and that's no good and that's no good. I'll use ABA as an example. I'm not fond of ABA. I don't like it as a one-time or the one and only approach that's being used. I don't like it. But I've seen a lot of benefits in many of the aspects of ABA. So if I just put a big X over it, then I'm going to everything they do, I'm going to ignore instead of saying, oh, but that part and oh, but that part and oh, that uh, therapist is fantastic and when she does it, it looks, you know, you know what I mean? So what we yeah. should be doing is not so much saying, don't work with this person because they do a different approach, but say, ah, well, if you're looking for my approach, that's a different one. But... Mm. You see what I mean? It's just a simple yeah. shift, but we should be able to do that, not just in our field, but in the world. You know, it should be that we say, well, that's not the way I do it, but that doesn't devalue it. Mm, right. Right. Right? Yeah, and so man, now I can I'm learn from you, you can learn from me, and we still can, and then I'll, I might grab a couple of the tools you have to teach me, and then you'll grab some of what I have to teach you, and we all become better and more gifted because of it. Just look at how much your world expands from that shift. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really yes. huge. Okay, so, but to do that, don't we, so here's the real thing that I think is an important piece, really the, what, the reason I wanted to do the show, so we're, we're landing on it now. So as a mom, I'm going to speak to you as a mom right now, and then you speak as a therapist. So as a mom, mm -hmm. one of the biggest things was knowing when I'd been wrong mm -hmm. and go, shoot, I fought and fought and fought for that particular thing uh, that I thought was right and it turns out I was wrong and now I have to go and, and change my mind and do it different mm -hmm. and uh, recreate how my kids are being helped. So that was always hard, and the second piece of that that was even harder was not wasting time regretting, but just taking the new path and, and immersing myself in it. And you often hear parents talk about that, but it's also true for professionals, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah. I think that um, it, goes, it kind of reminds me of how you said it's just a little simple shift and maybe, you know, simple, who knows, but it is. It's a simple shift in perspective. So if we look at I did something wrong and it was a mistake, then I feel horrible. Um, and it actually kind of reminds me of an example as a professional, right, of when I first started in this field 18 years ago, one of the only options was ABA and 
I didn't know that any other programs existed. And so I knew I wanted to work with kids on the spectrum and this is the only way I knew how. And so I'm just going to do it even though I leave work and I cry because I feel so bad. But like, I just knew this is what I wanted to do. And so I applied for the job at AB, at the ABA company and I didn't get it and I was devastated. And I just remember that like visceral, just this depression of, I can't believe it. What am I going to do with my life? Right. Mm-hmm. But then, through that, another door opened and I found a program that was more relationship-based and centered on love and all the things, all the challenges I was having with ABA were resolved through this other program. And so, Which was Sunrise, right? Because you can't not yes. say what it is. It's, it, it's, it's loud by its absence of being named. Okay, so that was Sunrise and then you trained there. Yes, I trained there and um, and that was, you know, an incredible and amazing experience and I learned so much and then after many, many years of that, it's like the next challenge presented itself. And I could look back on ABA and say that was a mistake. And I could Or you could even do that with Sunrise. We can do that with everything. I guess that's my point. Like I did, as a parent, I did some program with my kids and they benefited and then it was done. It was time to benefit mm-hmm. in a new way. And the, and the mistake, I think, is in seeing it as a mistake instead of just another step exactly. in the evolution of you. We learn through contrast. We don't know what good is unless we know what, you know, what doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. And even within every program I ever trained in, there were things that really worked and things that didn't. And it was the contrast within the program itself compared to my child and my family that helped me to find the real answers. Yeah. So it's no longer a mistake. It's just contrast that is leading us on a path to more clarity. Right. Hmm. So with that in mind, since I think this is an important thing for parents and and teachers as well, which I have both as listeners. So with that in mind, what would be your biggest piece of advice that you can share to help them to do that well? Hmm. I tend to come back to trust. So... Um, trust in a couple of different ways, right? Trust in the past that all of that happened for a reason to give me some piece of knowledge or experience that I needed in order to get to where I am. Um, but also trust in the moment. So trust in the past and trust in the moment. And really, if something isn't working, why fight it? And I think if we can really learn to recognize when flow is not happening, that's when we need to step back and reevaluate and try something new. And so it might have flowed for a little while. And like I have an example where I I was sitting at my computer and I had, um, I was trying to get out this email and it was time sensitive and, and my computer kept crashing and keys weren't working and everything that could go wrong was going wrong and I was just sitting there getting more and more frustrated and then I realized, oh wait, this isn't flowing. Even though I have this deadline, this is I'm just sitting here fighting it and getting more frustrated. So I stepped away from the computer, I took a walk to the mailbox, I got the mail, I came and got a snack, I came back inside and I felt much more refreshed and I came back to the same computer and I sat down and the email went out with no problem. And I just feel like if I would have sat there and kept trying, it would have just overwhelmed the whole system and it couldn't have started flowing again. 
So stepping back and reevaluating and trusting in the past and trusting in the the, the current flow um, that, you know, if, if it's hard, don't keep fighting it. And that, that's actually great because that works in the moment of if you're head-to-head with your child, step away. <laughs> yeah. Right? It also works in the week. If you're having one of those awful weeks, go to the movies. It also works mm-hmm. in, a, in a therapeutic sort of long-term flow sort of way, you know. Evaluate it once a month. Evaluate it every six months. Is it still moving and grooving or is it time to move on? So that's wonderful advice for, for every second, actually, of your life. I, I love that that's what you shared. Um, Julie, I'm sorry that the time's up already. Uh, we'll talk again. Thank you for being willing to share your voice and your ideas. And you are at autisticallyinclined.com. Is there one last thing you want to say before we go? I wanted to say thank you for all that you're doing out there in this world. You are amazing. You're a rock star. I love getting to work with you side by side, learn from you, share my insights with you. And and so just thanks for creating a platform for that. You're awesome. Ah, you are too. Isn't it great? Mutual Adoration Society. All right. Thank you very much, Julie. Bye-bye. Wow. That was Julie Sando of AutisticallyInclined.com. And she's marvelous. Uh, check her out if you're interested. Like I said, she's more organized than me online, so you'll have many more things to choose from. With me, you pretty much just have to buy me or listen to my show, which you're doing. Yay for you and me. All right, it is time for OK, OK, the great guest giveaway. And I've decided to give away a one-of-a-kind item. So my editor went ahead and, and made a documentary ask out of the Uganda trip for Fixin' and Five, and he said, you know, can I, maybe we can put this on YouTube or whatever, and I watched it, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but I didn't like it because it's not constantly teaching the things that I want you to know. If you just want to watch a documentary and see it unfold, though, it's very entertaining and it's lovely. And so there's only one in the whole world, and I'm offering it to the first person to send me an email at mom, number four, evermore, at juno, J-U-N-O, dot com. And in the subject line, you put fix it in five documentary and the first person to do that gets it and it's one of a kind like literally I'm never going to let another one be made and don't you go making copies and sending it out either you're going to be special if you're the only one okay I want to talk about stories from the road Um, you know Julie said something close to the end there where she was talking about trust and and, you know, just sort of being willing to change if it's not flowing. And I loved that. But I also want to give you the advice of just go one step longer. It's really common to give up too soon or too late. So the way to know the difference is to say, oh, I'm getting really, really frustrated. It's not working. And then go just a little longer. But put a time frame in that. So let's say you're um, working on a program and you've got a particular flow going and it's working and it's working and it's working. And for four months it's working. And then for one month it isn't. Don't give up yet. Right? You've got four months of mileage. Maybe you just got a month of plateau. You might get two months of plateau. But once you start hitting three months of plateau, it may be time to say, you know, I think we got what we can get here. And start looking around and try to figure it out. Now, in those two months, you don't want to be complacent. 
and just waiting. You want to be looking for why maybe is it plateauing because it may not be the program itself. It may be the application. It may be you. It may be your people. People burn out. They come to something with full of energy and full of originality and new ideas, and then they slowly get a little tired and get blinded by their own beliefs and expectations that come from years of, you know, whatever. So sometimes all that's required is a changing of the staff or a changing of the schedule, and then you get fresh new thinking again. This is true whether you're talking about meds, whether you're talking about supplements, whether you're talking about neurofeedback, whether you're talking about um, therapies. It's often just really marvelous to just sort of mix it up a little. The opposite of what you're taught, which is to do everything according to what's expected on the schedule. My experience is mix it up and you get much more uh, flexibility from the kids. And a healthy brain is a flexible brain. So we're in stories from the road, and I'm not telling you a story. Shame on me. All right, time to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you the story that brought this show together. This is about a boy that I've worked with for a long time, and he and it's just perfect for today because first he did Sunrise, which is a type of therapy that I was certified in and Julie was certified in, and it was wonderful, and it helped my children marvelously. Uh, but it it ended. The, the place at which it benefited my kids stopped, and so it was time to move on. And it was the same in the world that I worked in. I kept seeing sort of a plateau place. And I added neurofeedback, so then I got a little bit more mileage, but I still saw a plateau. So this this family that I went to see, they'd done Sunrise for five years, gotten no language at all. They'd gotten a great happy son, though, one that was very comfortable. Then they did straight head-on ABA, and they got some language, but it was only at the table, and they got an angry son. And now they're doing a combination according to what I watch and see is right for that child. I go, we'll do a little of this, we'll do a little of that. And it's based not on a perfect therapeutic approach. It's based on that family, their culture, the staff they have available to them, the lifestyle they're able to live, and the child himself, what he responds to, what matters to him. So my point is, this child, who is now finally, you know, the, the anger that was built up after the ABA has now receded. His comfort has returned. His, they tried drugs, too. We had to get him off the Prozac and onto the SAMI. I mean, it's been a ride. So he's now in a more comfortable, more beautiful place. He's generalizing his language. He's generalizing his connection with everyone. He's creating friendships and doing texts. And now he's headed for a great vacation and a wonderful camp experience. It's a success story so far. But if he plateaus, I promise you, I won't stick to any particular therapy. I will change it up. And that's part of why Julie's involved, because I want a little change up for the summer. It's really important to embrace the world around you. It's full of wisdom and information. Just sift it through your own desires and wishes. Be clear. Be willing to change, but always be the driver of your own car. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. And thank you for being here, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. 
Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.